Looking for a custom crush partner? Bending Branch Winery offers full-spectrum bend-to-bottle services. The experienced winemaking team specializes in red wine production. Advanced extraction options are available to get the most out of red wine grapes. Join Bending Branch and its clients in producing highly awarded wines. Contact Dr. Bob Young by email at bob at bendingbranch.com for more information. Nothing replaces a visit to the tasting room, but on occasions you can't swing a visit to wine country, consider bringing the winery experience to your home with Somley. Somley features many of the highest quality small production wines you won't find in stores or restaurants. You can get the very best Texas wine shipped right to your doorstep. And Texas wineries join the direct-to-consumer digital wine movement. You can now claim, customize, and list your wines for sale on Somley's Marketplace in minutes. With Somley, you can grow your DTC wine sales, club memberships, and visits to your tasting room. Whether you're a wine lover or a winemaker, check it out at Somley.com. Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 59. Today, my guest is Brian Chogley, co-owner of Sandy Road Vineyards. We'll discuss how Sandy Road Vineyards came to be, their unique site and varieties, and we'll also talk about Brian's latest project, Top Texas Wines, which is an effort to promote the Texas wines that are awarded the most gold medals in international wine competitions. In the news, there's a major development in the effort to add another AVA in the Texas Hill Country, some travel and tourism news, a new winery that has people talking, an article that had people talking, and a personal story about a recent blind tasting event that I hosted. And we'll finish out the episode with your favorite and mine, Demerits and Gold Stars. Thanks for listening to This is Texas Wine. This week, Par Vineyards, Robert Clay Vineyards, and Talent Vineyards received news from the TTB, which is the Tax and Trade Bureau, that their petition for a new AVA has passed the initial review. It's met all the necessary regulatory requirements. That AVA will be called Hickory Sands, and it's located in the central part of Mason County. Not only is this proposed AVA within the existing boundaries of the Texas Hill Country AVA, it's almost entirely within the proposed Lano Uplift AVA. The proposed Hickory Sands AVA contains nine commercial vineyards, nine bonded wineries, and 190.1 acres of vineyards. The AVA is named after the Hickory Sandstone Formation, a series of sandy soils that are found throughout the area and are well known because they drain very well and they have low nutrient content, leading to grapes with more concentrated flavors and aromas. The Hickory Sands AVA is characterized by hot, dry summers and mild winters. Be sure to check out the thorough explanation of the efforts to create additional Texas AVAs. It was published this past week on Texas Wine Lover, thanks to Dr. Carl Hudson for that article. National Geographic in the UK included Fredericksburg in an article titled, Five of the Best U.S. Cities for Wine Lovers. New York, Seattle, Asheville, and San Luis Obispo were also included. 
The article says that Texas's wine country is some of the most picturesque in the U.S., home to quaint tasting rooms, limestone hills, and fields of springtime blue bonnets. The article complements the fine choice of wine tour operators. It mentions Becker Vineyards, whose standout is their fruity Condrieu-style Viognier and Narrow Path Winery on Main Street. The website sfgate.com picked up an article written by Houston wine writer Ron Sikowski that first appeared in the Houston paper, or at least online. It's called A Dozen Texas Wines, Best California Wines at Annual Competition, and it highlights 12 Texas wines that won recently in the San Francisco Chronicle Wine Competition. Ron writes, 12 unknown Texas wines took top varietal wines, besting those well-known California wines. This is big since these unknowns from Texas beat out the best that California had to offer. I could quibble with some of this, and one of the 12 best-in-class wines listed is actually from a California AVA, and another is a non-alcoholic wine. Nonetheless, it's great that, let's say, 10-ish Texas wines won best-in-class. Well, you can imagine how this article went over outside of the state, in California in particular, and even inside the state, because we all know that there are many Texans who enjoy bashing Texas wine. The always provocative wine writer and social media pot stirrer Sierra Wine Guy posted the article and his many followers had a lot to say about it. The most annoying comment came from a guy who actually lives in Texas and makes California wine, who says that the Texas wine industry reminds him of the Temecula wine industry 25 years ago. I don't know much about Temecula, but I'm pretty sure that's not a compliment. I replied like I often do to random people on social media. I suggested that he revisit Texas wine if he hasn't tasted it in a while. There are so many falsehoods that remain and are reshared almost daily that Texas wine is all just California juice, that Texas wine is all sweet, that it's always over oaked and over acidified, that it's too hot here to make quality wine, etc., etc. I guess I could have saved this for the demerit section. On a happier note, Uplift Vineyards is now accepting reservations for private tours and seated tastings. Uplift Vineyards is the new William Chris Wine Company brand, and it's also the first William Chris brand to feature 100% estate-grown wines. Back in 2021, William Chris purchased Hoover Valley Vineyard in Burnett for a price that Chris Brundrett says was less than $10 million. In a press release, Chris Brundrett said, The fruit was so beautiful, and the Lano Uplift is such an incredible area. We thought it was kind of sad to have a place where nobody could really come visit. Well, now you can visit from Thursdays to Sundays by appointment. Claire Richardson is winemaker of Uplift Vineyards, and Zen Brown is estate manager. This is a premium brand that offers a high-end tasting experience and upscale pricing, too. Quick reminder that we've got some great festivals coming up. Rootstock Wine Fest will be held in Waco at Indian Spring Park on Saturday, April 15th. This is my hometown wine festival there in Waco. I'll be doing some on-site podcast recording, visiting 16 wineries booths to taste some wine. There's some food that's included in the ticket price, and there's also a VIP dinner after the festival. There's live music, too. 
And Toast of Texas is coming up the afternoon of April the 23rd, that's a Sunday, in Bee Cave at Star Hill Ranch. That's basically Austin. This is a signature event for Wine and Food Foundation. And not only are there a bunch of wineries pouring Texas wines, there's paella and barbecue and a super cool venue that's like an old western town. It's going to be perfect weather for both events and all your friends will be there. Go ahead and get your tickets for Rootstock and Toast of Texas. And on both of those, you can use the code Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y, to get a discount. I've been talking about Central Texas and Hill Country festivals and events, but there are a couple others around the state that are coming up too, like Lubbock Uncorked on April 1st, Texas Wine Hops and Shops at McPherson Cellars in Lubbock on April 22nd, and Frisco Uncorked on April 29th. No matter where you live, get yourself to a wine festival or two this spring. Here's a cool tour that I just learned about. It's a barbecue and Texas wine tour that departs Austin and goes first to the Salt Lick for barbecue and then to both Fall Creek Vineyards and Dukeman Family Winery. The departure point is the Austin Visitor Center and the duration is about four and a half hours. It costs $60 for transportation plus lunch and wine tastings. Sounds like a great day. And finally, I want to tell you all about a wine tasting that I hosted this week. I do monthly blind tastings with a group of people who are super into wine. And this month, the assignment was to bring a Merlot or a Merlot-based blend for blind tasting. Now, the people in my group are not regular Texas wine drinkers, but I was really curious to know how a Texas Merlot would show. So I snuck in an additional bottle of Merlot in a brown paper bag and basically held my breath as I poured it. It was the seventh of eight wines that we tasted that night. And we were basically trying to determine whether each wine was likely from the old world, aka Europe, or from the new world, where it might be from, and what we could determine about this wine in terms of age or any kind of winemaking techniques. So when this top secret Texas Merlot blend was poured, I was nervous. I didn't know how it would go over. Well, imagine my surprise when every single person around the table said that the wine was from the old world and from the right bank of Bordeaux specifically. They generally agreed that the wine was about six to eight years old and from a high quality producer. And at least two people there said that it was their favorite wine of the night. There were several right bank Bordeaux that we had already tasted and people seemed to feel pretty good about their call. Three of my guests that night are members of this fancy Bordeaux society, and they definitely know their Bordeaux. So imagine their surprise when I unveiled a Texas wine. They were shocked. And when someone finally spoke, he said, wow, that more than held its own. Yes, yes, it did. And it was also the least expensive wine on the table. Ironically, one of the guys brought me a bottle of Texas Merlot as a hostess gift, but he brought a fancy Napa Valley Merlot for the actual tasting. And by the way, the Napa Valley Merlot was a huge fruit bomb. I certainly appreciate the Texas wine hostess gift, but it's the underlying belief that some people have that Texas wine couldn't possibly be good enough for the official fine wine tasting. My point in telling you this story is not to say that Texas wine should strive to be Bordeaux-like or like any region, 
It's just to say that Texas can make wines that are refined and beautiful and are every bit as high quality as any in the world. And when Texas wines are given serious consideration, they just might wow you. The wine that I poured that night was the 2017 William Chris Hunter, which is a blend of about 76% Merlot, 24% Malbec. I had a few different Texas Merlots to pick from at home, but of course I know that 2017 was a stellar vintage in Texas, and I liked that the wine had fairly moderate alcohol. I had a couple others that I could have picked, but one had really low ABV, and the other seemed kind of high, so I went for the one in the middle. If you're interested in doing this type of varietal blind tasting, be sure to check out the Texas versus the World tastings at Vinovium. The next one actually is on Merlot. It takes place March 11th. And there are several other themed blind tastings already scheduled throughout the year. Find links to all these stories in the show notes at thisistexaswine.com. And that's the Texas Wine News. Now on to our interview. Sandy Road Vineyards is one of the most buzzed about wineries in the Texas Hill Country. Today's guest, Brian Chogley, and his brother-in-law, Reagan Sividon, co-own Sandy Road Vineyards. I was interested in hearing how this newer winery got off to such a strong start and how they're planning for the future. Additionally, Brian started a new website called Top Texas Wines that uses wine competition results to highlight the most awarded Texas wineries, wines, regions, and vineyards. Being a bit of a data nerd myself, I had a blast delving into the results and talking with Brian. We had a lot to talk about. Here's our conversation. Okay, Brian, thanks for being here today. I would love to hear from you how Sandy Road Vineyards got started and what it looks like today. Yeah. I'd, first, I just wanted to say thank you, Shelly, for um, having me on. Definitely appreciate it and long-time listener. <laughs> I've got a long drive out to the farm uh, out in the hill country, and I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I love listening to your podcast. Thank so you. Just wanted to say thank you for that. So we started Sandy Road Vineyards about eight years ago uh, when – we had a winemaker marry into the family, and uh, he wanted to uh, grow some grapes and make his own wine, and, and we had uh, land out in the Texas Hill Country, and um, he had a best friend who owned a winery that he made wine at, and uh, we thought, wow, what a amazing synergy uh, with all these kind of stars aligning with the land and a winemaker and a winery where we could make wine, and uh, we decided to, uh, to give it a try. And eight years later, here we are. I went out to Sandy Road for the first time not too long ago and got to do a tasting with you. And it hadn't dawned on me until I was actually making the drive down that Sandy Road that perhaps the winery was named because you do actually drive down a Sandy Road to get there. And I saw an old farmhouse that must have been um, part of the original property that was in the family. Yes, yes. It, the name has a lot of meetings, but yes, you definitely get to drive down a, a long sandy road when you come visit us out at the farm. Also, the uh, the locals call the uh, the road that we're on Sandy Road um, because there used to be a town uh, at the end of the road called Sandy. And so my wife and her sister, when they were always coming to visit family out at, out at the old family farm, um, always called it Sandy Road. That's just what they knew. Um, we're going down Sandy Road, and, and so if you're going to put a vineyard out on Sandy Road, 
probably call it Sandy Road Vineyards. That's perfect. That was that was how we came up with that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the settlers back in the day uh, were very creative with their naming. Uh, they, they they were uh, in their wagons and uh, got stuck uh, on the Perdinalis River in the sand and decided to stay and ended up calling it Sandy. <laughs> And uh, started, I guess, growing cotton back in the 1920s uh, until the Great Depression happened. And eventually had to stop doing that because they couldn't make a living at it and moved out west to work in the, uh, in the oil fields um, at a place called Yates Oil. And uh, that's just kind of an important tidbit to uh, keep in the back of your mind as we go through the story. But... Um, the land has been in the family for that long, and uh, when you come out to Sandy Road and you uh, drive down the Sandy Road uh, to the vineyard, you can see the old family farmhouse, about 100 years old. When I married my wife about 20 years ago, we started going out to the to the family farm and uh, you know sitting on the sitting on the porch, uh, drinking wine, and watching the sunset out in the hill country, and and just falling in love with with the hill country. I want to talk about the specific soil that you've got there, but tell me a little bit about your uh, estate vineyard because you have a pretty significant estate vineyard and plans for more, I understand. Yeah. Um, well, let me give you a little bit of history uh, about the property. Um, originally, uh, my wife's family uh, purchased the land back in 1924. It's called the Dixon Ranch. Uh, it's a 100-acre property. And uh, it is about four miles north of the Perdinalis, near High, Texas, in the Texas Hill Country. Um, the soil is pretty interesting. It's a mix of chalky limestone, um, iron-rich clay, and a lot of um, sand. <laughs> and uh, so, <laughs> so you get kind of a lot of different terroirs to play with. But uh, yeah, as we were trying to plan the vineyard and, and figure out where the vineyard would be, we you know dug a lot of soil samples and, and pits and kind of looked at the looked at the soil you know four or five feet down and uh, it was very interesting in one particular area of the property at the very back where it was kind of sloping down a hill with chalky limestone at the top and iron rich clay in the middle and literally riverbed sand at the bottom. And so we really geeked out on that and we're like, oh my gosh, like you could plant the grapes that like to be in the sand in the sand and the grapes that like to be in the rocks in the rocks and uh, off we go. Everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah. You've got some interesting varieties planted that I believe are planted nowhere else in Texas, or at least maybe you were the first. Can you talk about what you've got growing out there? Yeah. So now we have 16 acres of grapes planted. Um, they're all Spanish, French, and Italian uh, reds. So the Spanish are Tempranillo, Mencia, and Prieto Picudo. Uh, so those last two are two of the ones you were you were talking about, Mencia and Prieto Picudo, uh, Spanish red uh, varietals. And um, we originally, you know, wanted to plant something a little bit different, try something new, and and hopefully do like a Spanish blend of those. That's something that, that they do in Spain. We have uh, French Southern Rhone, French varietals, Grenache Syrah Morved, and then uh, Marcelon, which is uh, a cross between Cabernet Sauvignon and Grenache, which is pretty interesting and seems to really like it uh, in the hill country. The idea that the French had with this was, you know, with, let's just say, 
global warming and things getting a little warmer? Is it going to be more of a challenge to grow Cabernet? And so they wanted to cross it with uh, Grenache uh, to see if you could grow Cabernet in warmer climate. And so Texas Hill Country is definitely warmer climate. So we thought, would this help Cabernet grow uh, in the Hill Country? So it seems to be good so far. We've uh, had three harvests. The chemistries have been amazing. And we've got some wine in barrel that we're excited to be releasing shortly. And will that be a single varietal wine or a blend? It will, yeah. It'll 100% Marcelon. Interesting. I don't know that I have ever had yeah. that great, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I've only found a few bottles, uh, you know, out there. So um, I was surprised that it uh, tasted pretty true to varietal. So good. we'll see. Good. Uh, the, last for, the last thing we have is uh, Sangiovese. And so you also source some grapes from elsewhere because I know you have some white wines in your portfolio. So those are from the High Plains or? Yes. So we, you know, we, we want to be a hundred percent Texas. Um, we've always been a hundred percent Texas grapes. That's the, that's the plan. Um, but you know, with the vineyard coming online, it takes a long time to go from, Hey, I'd like to have a vineyard to actually having wine. So, um, we started uh, with some high plains fruit. Um, we get some whites, uh, some reds, we, you know, beg, borrow and steal wherever we can to to try and find some wine. Do you think your soil and climate is right to plant some whites in your estate vineyard? I, I do. Yeah. You know, there's been some really great uh, Hill Country white wine, and uh, we actually just planted uh, a little bit for our neighbors, some Roussan. Hopefully, we'll be getting to have some of that in a few years. That's great. Well, one of the features of your property is a very cool treehouse, which I've seen so many people um, visit and post on social media. So that's been, looks like a great hit. It was super windy the day I was there, so I didn't get to go. But um, talk a little bit about your tasting room and the treehouse and what a visit to Sandy Road is yeah. like. Let me back up and maybe give you a little bit of history of how we got started. About 10 years ago, my, my wife's sister uh, married a winemaker. And uh, he wanted us to grow some grapes out at the farm, and um, we were going to sell those grapes uh, to the winery where he worked. We started on that path as a, as a vineyard, and the goal was just to be a vineyard. And so we looked on the property to find the best place on the property for a vineyard, and we started getting to work at that. Um, we planted everything ourselves. It took us four years to get the, the vineyard planted, and then... Uh, we were lucky enough to be able to make some wine at the winery, and uh, then we needed a place to sell it. <laughs> and when we we didn't have a, a lot of money to build a fancy uh, winery and tasting room, so we kind of got creative to try and find something that would be a unique, fun experience. And uh, we had a old mobile home on the property that we were tearing down, clearing out, and under it is a big metal trailer. Uh, 60 foot long metal beams and we thought well maybe we could make something out of that and so uh, we cut that up and uh, turned it into a treehouse so we have a, a treehouse on the edge of the vineyard that overlooks uh, the 16 acres and the rolling hills of the hill country and um, we do private seated tastings up in the treehouse and you get a private experience with uh, with me or Andy, and we talk through all of our wines. 
Um, we pair it with a food pairing with each of the wines, talk about, show you where the wine is grown on the property and, and talk about Texas wine. That's very cool. Do you want to name your brother-in-law so that he doesn't go unnamed? <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to, I was going to kind of lead into that, that story. Um, so my brother-in-law's name is Reagan Cividon. He's a longtime winemaker at a, a place called Ron Yates Wines, also Spicewood Vineyards. And uh, he and Ron have been uh, best friends for a long time. And Reagan started working there uh, at Spicewood and really enjoyed uh, working with Ron. And uh, yeah, when we started the vineyard, the goal was to sell all of our grapes to Ron and, uh, and Reagan would make wine with it. Ron was uh, very gracious to uh, allow us to make a little bit of wine there, and uh, it turned out pretty good. We sold out of it pretty fast, and we were kind of off to the races. And uh, I mean, Ron and and his family are just uh, amazing people, very gracious, and uh, just wonderful for the Texas wine industry and help a lot of people, and they helped us uh, get started and continue to help us. Um, that's that's where we make all of our wine. Yeah, it's just been just been a great partnership uh, with the Yates family. And Reagan now is making wine for uh, Spicewood, Ron Yates, and managing uh, all their vineyards. So uh, he stays pretty busy. I guess so. And so when did your first wines come out for Sandy Road? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Or or when was your vineyard (laughs) planned? I'm just trying to get my sense of timing. Yeah, so we... uh, we started planting in the spring of 2017. Our first vintage was 2018, was Texas High Plains fruit. Okay. Um, and the first vintage from the vineyard was 2020. I'm guessing that you guys were drinking a lot of the Ron Yates and Spicewood wines when you made this decision to open up your own place. Would you say that that your wines are um, similar in style or are you doing something different? Yeah, definitely drinking a lot of, uh, of Ron Yates wines, a lot of Texas wines, a lot of California wines. Um, you know, we were, we were just in love with wine um, prior to it. And uh, so when Reagan uh, put the bug in our ear, uh, we were definitely, <laughs> we were definitely interested. The styles uh, I think are similar, but different, you know, Reagan, tries to have a theme for kind of each of the brands uh, that he's making wine for. And, um, you know, place makes a big difference as well. You know, and so Spicewood is an estate vineyard um, at Ron Yates. They're getting a lot of grapes from a lot of places. Um, and then uh, Sandy Road is an estate vineyard. And so we're we're trying to make wines that showcase the place. Um, and they should be a little bit different um, because the soil is different and the place is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So tell me about some of what you consider your signature wines um, that are in your current portfolio, some things that you're particularly proud of. Wow. Um, I mean, I love our Tempranillo. Uh, Tempranillo is always great. It does so well in the hill country and um, it's been doing really well at our place. It just is, it grows in in the clay uh, at our property, which gives it big, bold, spicy notes. And it's ever since the first uh, release of it, uh, every, every Tempranillo we've released has won double gold. So it's, uh, it's been doing well. 
And some of the, like the Mencia, did, were you doing a pet nat or a rosé with it? I'm trying to remember. I had something unusual and cool with the Mencia. Yes, we've been, we, to be honest, we've been struggling with Mencia. You know, who, who knows if that's going to be a right fit for, for Texas. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a young vine, so we made pet nats with it. Ron Yates, actually, we sold some of the grapes to Ron. Uh, he made a pet nat with it, which turned out really good. Um, we have some red Mencia in barrel. Uh, it's aging, and um, we're we're hoping that it's uh, gonna gonna come together. So we're we're waiting on it. Our our goal is is to uh, to only release really great wines, and uh, so if a wine is not up to our standard, um, we're gonna we're gonna keep it and hold on to it until until it is, and um, maybe those vines just need a couple more years to mature. I guess that's the exciting part of being in this stage of the Texas wine industry, because we are supposed to be experimenting to see what works. And and we have a lot of flexibility to do that. But you do sometimes have to make the hard call that this that this wasn't the right choice or the right fit or the right soil or what have you. Well, the jury's still yeah. out. We're not going to say it's we're, we're not going to say it's not. We're going to say it's 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 young and uh, it's maturing. Yes. In <laughs> fact, that is a good point. Good point. So I want to switch our conversation a little bit to a new project that you're working on that I got a preview of at the Texas Hill Country Wine Symposium, and that is your efforts for Top Texas Wines. Can you talk a little bit about how you got the idea to put together this resource for award-winning Texas wines and what it is exactly? Yeah, it's it's, uh, started way back uh, when we were starting Sandy Road Vineyards. We were just getting started and trying to figure out what varieties to plant at the property. And um, I am a huge geek and wanted to do a lot of research and try to figure out, uh, you know, what were the best grapes for us to plant at the property. And so I started doing a bunch of research and came across uh, wine competitions and international wine competitions and started looking at uh, the Texas wines that were winning gold at those competitions. Um, and thought that would be a pretty good indicator of the Texas wines that uh, were being well produced and were growing well in Texas. And so I started collecting that list and trying to drink every single one of those wines was a very hard challenge. Uh, <laughs> had, to, had to struggle through it, but uh, drank a lot of really great wine and uh, just kept, kept collecting um, the list of of gold medal winning wines. And um, over a couple of years, started noticing an interesting pattern uh, kind of fall out of that, that there were, in fact, um, a set of uh, grape varieties, uh, vineyards and wineries that were consistently winning uh, gold medals at international wine competitions. And um, I thought that that was pretty interesting. I couldn't find a lot of that information online at the time, and I wanted to start sharing it, started sharing it with some friends. They found it interesting, and I was like, well, maybe we could start a website for that. Um, So I started Top Texas Wines as a way to uh, summarize basically all of the um, award-winning Texas wines, gold medal-winning Texas wines from international wine competitions. So... Uh, in order to be on the website, it has to be uh, 100% Texas, uh, grown and grown and produced in Texas, and it has to have won a gold medal at an international wine competition. 
and uh, it turned out to be a, a just a fun uh, website where people can go to look at the top varieties, see the top wineries, and um, hopefully it helps people find great Texas wine because that's that's what I really want uh, more people to know that Texas is really producing uh, really great uh, wines and. Maybe you hadn't tried that variety before. Maybe you haven't been to that winery before. But you know, if you're trying to pick from the 700 wineries in Texas, um, maybe the ones that are winning the most gold medals are uh, some of the ones you should try. I had sent you an email that I guess your work in this regard is never done because there are new competitions every year and results coming out every <laughs> month, it seems like. Yeah, and San Francisco uh, wine competition just came out. Yeah, and the presentation that you did at at the Hill Country Wine Symposium was actually before San Francisco. So this information that I have from your presentation is is not the most current from your database, I guess. But at the time, you had there were eighty four unique Texas wineries that had won a gold medal. So out of seven hundred and something potential Texas wineries, we have you know ten percent ish, give or take. Um, that have won a gold medal. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think, you know, that's, it's a, it's a good indicator. Uh, I think in, in that regard of quality, um, <laughs> some people kind of, um, maybe have apprehension about, um, wine competitions. Some people, uh, sometimes, think, well, maybe gold medals really are just for marketing or maybe, you know, people just paid for the gold medal. Um, you know, it's it's not quite like kids soccer. It's not a p- participation trophy. And then when you see that, well, only 84 out of 700 and something wineries uh, won a gold medal, you know, you kind of get a little glimpse that, well, that is probably a high bar um, that those wineries are, are passing um, in the wine competition. Um and so that's why I think it's interesting uh, to try those wines. I have to admit, I should admit here that I am not exactly a, a complete bystander in this discussion because I have judged four of the competitions that you follow. And then I'm also on the production team for a fifth wine competition. So so there's a, there is indeed a wide variety of experiences and wine competitions. I don't think that all wine competitions are equal. Um, but I, I do appreciate how hard it is for wineries to win gold. You know, I think wine competitions can be taken with a grain of salt and, you know, the, the saying of what is it? One time's a chance, two times is a possibility and and three time is a pattern. Um, so, you know, maybe if, if a wine wins at one place, one gold, yeah, yeah, maybe it was just a, a random chance and maybe the judges just particularly liked it that day, but um, if that wine's won three or four uh, competitions where it's been blind tasted across you know 20 other wines in a category and it's been rated with you know a particular set of, of categories and, and scored, um, that's probably a good wine. Yeah, I do want to clarify too. I said 84 unique wineries. That was just the 2022 figure. So in 2022, there were 84 unique Texas wineries that won that won gold medal. So that wasn't any that have won since you started your data collection, which is 2018. Yeah, it's it's over a hundred um, since I so I started collecting data in 2018, 
um, and it's uh, it's over a hundred. And and with the San Francisco one, there was actually quite a few uh, new ones to the list that we added. So maybe I'll maybe I'll publish those uh, the new first timers. Yeah, I I don't know all the first timers, but I did um, comment on the podcast that comes out tomorrow that there were in particular a couple that caught my eye that I knew are, are newer wineries. So that's exciting. And also new varieties. Yeah, I'll give a shout out to uh, my new neighbor uh, winery. She's about to open um, Poor Tree Cellars, um, did really well in San Francisco. So shout out uh, to them. Yeah, that was cool. That's one I noted as well. And not just for any variety, but for Fiano, which is not really that common in anywhere, I guess, but at least not in Texas or the United States. Just kind of looking at San Francisco, I, I think San Francisco is, you know, one of the one of the tougher uh, wine competitions because a lot of the California wineries uh, enter those competitions. And um, Texas does pretty darn well, even you know, winning golds and double golds for uh, Cabernet Sauvignon in California. That's something to be said, and we should we should say that, and we should be proud of that. <laughs> kind of looking at the data and, and looking at all the results from San Francisco, Texas uh, Tempranillo, Rosé, and Tanat uh, were the big winners at San Francisco, as well as uh, some Viognier and Roussan. What is a little bit... Um notable and possibly frustrating is that these competitions can only judge the wines that are entered. And so you may have your very favorite Texas wine that you think is absolutely the best in the state, but if they're not submitting, then then they're never part of your results. And some com- some wineries just don't enter for a yeah, variety of right. reasons. Yep, that's true. And that kind of goes back to, you know, some philosophical beliefs about wine competitions, but um yeah, I would say that just because a winery doesn't have gold medals does not mean that those wines are not good. There are some amazing wines out there um, from wineries that just don't enter competitions. Um, and so, you know, I, I want to say that, you know, a gold medal is is one of many factors that you should consider uh, when looking for good wine. Um, but it is a factor that you probably could consider. Um, just like reviews on Google, reviews on Yelp, reviews on the website, um, posts on Instagram, those are all, you know, social proof that other people uh, enjoyed that wine or that winery and that experience. And the more, you know, pieces of, of social proof that you can collect about something, the more confidence it gives you that that's probably a good thing to try. Um, because let's face it, Texas wine is uh, moderately priced, not super expensive compared to like California or French wines, but um, it's not something that you just want to throw your money away on, right? If you're going to spend your money, you want it to uh, be a good investment and something that you're going to enjoy. So you want to look for some feedback from uh, people that you trust that that's going to be a good experience. Um, so I think gold medals at international wine competitions is is one of those places that you can look uh, for some validation there. Mm-hmm. Another one of the slides that you had that I thought was really interesting, you were able to graph out which types of either varieties or styles were winning more awards and which varieties or styles are winning fewer awards. And one that came out on top as winning more awards was red blends, which I thought was interesting. Um, I've seen that kind of 
discussion happen quite frequently about how some of the challenges that Texas has, maybe with vintage variation or, you know, issues with uh, trying to get good chemistry can be remedied with blending. So that I thought that was interesting. Did, was there anything about this um, winning more or winning less kind of graph that's, that stood out to you? Yeah, and just in general, uh, it looks like uh, Texas red blends consistently uh, win a lot of uh, gold medals over the last five years, and it's growing. Um, so more people are, are looks like they're entering more red blends, we're making more red blends, and they're winning more awards. I do think that that's probably because of, you know, being able to put together the best wine you possibly can, right? You get a little bit more flexibility and the art of the winemaker uh, in the blending to kind of make the best wine you can make. Um, So I'm a big fan of blends. I I love love them. Wish we could make more of them. And maybe you will now that you know that they're winning so many awards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I want to make... I make, uh, well, I don't make the wines. I, I uh, am a very good uh, janitor to Reagan who makes the wines. <laughs> but uh, we want to make wines that we really love to drink ourselves. And uh, I, I do like a good blend. So. I was surprised to see that white blends were, they were on the other end of the spectrum. So they're winning fewer awards. And um, Blanc de Bois, Muscat, and Merlot were also winning fewer awards. So... That could be just a blip or that could be, you know, something that or maybe there just aren't enough. I know the white blends are a little bit in short supply. So, yeah, white white wines have been um, just in in short supply, been been tough to grow uh, the last couple of years. So that could probably be impacting. There's just not as many to to make. Um, Also on that list uh, is sweet wines. Um, So a lot of the the sweet wines seem to be declining in, in either submission or uh, awards. So on the website, it looks like people can not only find out what are the top Texas wines, but click through to, to actually purchase them on the winery's website. Yeah, I'm a big fan of promoting Texas wine and Texas wineries. And so I want this to be a, a channel to direct consumers and and lovers of wine to the wineries directly to purchase it this is not a it's not a website that sells wine um i'm not i'm already i'm trying to sell my wine i don't need to sell somebody else's wine uh, yeah <laughs> but i would love for more more people to drink really good texas wine um, and find really good texas wineries and so the links on the website go directly to the wineries so that you can build that direct relationship with the winery and purchase it on their website which is where they make the most money from. Another way that you've kind of spliced and diced the data is to look at where the gold medal wines are coming from, both by AVA and by vineyard, not just by winery. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I part of Reagan's job at Ron Yates is uh, purchasing grapes. And a lot of the wineries in the area purchase a lot of grapes from the High Plains and... Um, how do you know where you should purchase your grapes from? How do you know which vineyards have which varieties of grapes um, and which ones are doing a good job growing them consistently year over year? So I kind of slice that data up. Uh, in each AVA, you can see the vineyards, what grapes they're growing, and which ones are winning gold medals. And uh, so that was pretty interesting to, to find the vineyards in the, in the hill country and the high plains, which grapes are 
um, doing the best at each of the vineyards. It'll be interesting to see if some of the growers start charging a premium because they know their grapes are winning more gold medals than any others in the state. They absolutely should. <laughs> I uh, I just listened to another podcast. Uh, I, I like wine podcasts, but the uh, vineyard manager of uh, Monterosa in in Sonoma um, was talking about selling the grapes that they have there and the requirements that they have about about having their vineyard designation on the bottle, um, the price that they demand, and you know that you're submitting it to competitions and even that you're winning awards. Um, and that prestige demands a higher price in the market. Um, so Indeed. hopefully that is something that people become aware of. Was that Brene Royal? Is that her name? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's cool. I saw her uh, do a talk at a tech som not too long ago. She's very impressive. Yeah, that's one heck of a responsibility. <laughs> no kidding. Oh my goodness. Okay, so if people go to your website, they can see what are the top 12 most awarded wineries. Yeah, so one of the things that I did on the, uh, if you go to Top Texas Wines and look at the uh, wineries section, um, you can see based on region, um, which wineries have won the most gold medals in the last year. Uh, one of the questions I get asked all the time uh, in the tasting room is, where should I go next? <laughs> you know, it's they had a great experience. They like the wine. But uh, if somebody's coming out to visit and they're, you know, touring wineries, they're going to visit maybe 10 wineries that weekend. And so I, I grouped the top wineries by kind of tourist region. So the Hill Country, North Texas, Houston area. Um and you can see the most awarded one. So as hopefully that'll kind of give you some inspiration of which wineries to visit when you're in the area. That's very cool and helpful because it's a very big state. <laughs> yeah. And there's, I don't know, 90 to a hundred wineries in the hill country now. Um, so you just yeah. pick which ones you want. Yeah. I also put on the list um, which varietals that winery wins the most gold medals for. So you can kind of look and see if, if you're a big fan of Morved, uh, you know, which wineries are winning the most uh, for Morved. That's the one you should go try out. Have you gotten good feedback after your presentation at the symposium? Uh, yeah, I got some great feedback. I, I appreciated the feedback that I got. I've met with a couple of wineries um, since then and kind of talked about marketing and, um, you know, how, how they could participate more in wine competitions. And then one of the wineries had won several gold medals and they were asking, well, how do I kind of take advantage of marketing those in a better way? Um, because you should be proud of, of the gold medals that you win. Um, and I think consumers understand and appreciate that those are kind of hard things to, uh, to get and they, they do, um, help sell wine. So, um, post them on social media, post them on your Facebook, you know, talk about them in the tasting room and tell people and, and be proud of the accomplishment that you got. I think that a lot of, of newer wineries, and there are so many in Texas, don't know exactly where to start in entering competitions. And there are fees associated. I heard from someone actually after your session that said they won something at Houston and didn't realize that they actually had to provide multiple cases of that exact wine 
for the for an event and they didn't even have that wine any longer. So, you know, you sign a lot of statements when you enter certain competitions that you will make wine available. But um, for for new wineries, I think it's important to understand like the timeline of when submissions are open and there's so much to it. And I think that your website could be a great resource to have all that information. That's a that's a great idea. Yeah, I I would love to add the list of competitions and like when to enter and the links to enter and um, maybe even the prices and things on that. Um, yeah, that that happened to me not not too uh, long ago for the Houston Rodeo. It's I mean we we sell out of our wines maybe every six months and we had sold out of it and then we heard from Houston that it you know you know won the best in class and. It's like I like I didn't keep any. I'm sorry, I didn't have any to send them. I was like, I hope that doesn't disqualify me in the future. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, this has been really informative, and I appreciate all the hard work you do at Sandy Road, and also um, with trying to promote excellent Texas wines. I think this is really valuable for for the industry, and um, hopefully, we'll help those wines that do choose to enter and promoting. Um, their best wine. Thank you. Yeah, thank and thank you for having me on, and and thank you for doing the podcast. Um, I, I do want to say, you know, to all the uh, the wineries out there listening, um, you know, Texas is making some pretty darn good wines, and we should all be proud of that, and we should all be promoting it, and we should be helping each other uh, promote that. And the more people that know about Texas wine and are drinking really good Texas wine, the better it is for the whole industry. Um, so, you know, if you win a gold medal, you know, submit your wines to competitions first, uh, win a gold medal, and then uh, tell people about it. And uh, let's let's celebrate really good Texas wine. I love it. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Where can people find out more about Sandy Road and about Top Texas Wines? Sandy Road Vineyards is the website, Sandy Road Vineyards with an S dot com. Um, that's our website. We pretty much only sell uh, direct. Uh, if you come out to the vineyard to, to do a tasting or you can buy online, we do free shipping in Texas. Um, so check us out there. We're open Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 11 to 6. For the treehouse, reservations are required. They're on the hour. Um, you can make reservations on our website. Otherwise, you can come by um, anytime and, and do uh, tastings in the pavilion. And that's um, covered indoors. We have heaters in the winter um, and a nice breeze in the summer. So come see us. TopTexasWines.com is the website. And um, if you're looking for great Texas wines or wineries and trying to find ideas of places to visit, go try TopTexasWines.com and um, put some new wines on your list. Thanks, Brian. Stay tuned for Demerits and Gold Stars. I'm giving a huge demerit to the super odd weather system that created some end times looking skies and the most intense wind situation out on the Texas High Plains in the last couple of weeks. I heard some people call it a derecho, which is like an inland hurricane or a haboob, which is an Arabic name for a violent dust storm. Call it what you will, it was awful looking. One High Plains grape grower wrote me saying, 
If it wasn't for summer nights and next year's crop, no one would live here. Keep our Texas growers in mind as they deal with these and other occupational hazards. And think good thoughts for the growers in the Texas Hill Country, too, whose vineyards are starting to bud out a couple weeks earlier than usual. Thankfully, the recent hail in the Hill Country seems to have missed the vineyards from the accounts I've seen, but this is the time of year when we should all hope for mild temperatures, no freezes, no hail, and no crazy wind. And of course, everybody needs rain. March is Women's History Month, and the day before this podcast will come out is International Women's Day. So today I raise a glass to all the women who are making a difference in the Texas wine industry. This gold star is for you. I've had the pleasure to know and even interview many of you, and others of you are on my list. Whether you're working in the vineyards, making wine, running a tasting room, developing sales strategies, keeping the books executing events, leading wine education, hiring, firing, or conducting important research. Texas wine women are getting it done. So cheers to you. That's it for this episode. Please get in touch. Send your feedback, questions, or ideas for future episodes. You can email me at texaswinepod at gmail.com. And if you sign up for my occasional podcast newsletter, I'll email you on occasion. There's a newsletter sign up tab on my website. Don't forget to follow my social media channels at Texas Wine Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Then comment and share. You'll help me find new listeners who are into Texas wine. If this podcast resonates with you, please consider supporting it by going to the website and clicking support the podcast. That's where you can donate virtual Texas wine, which is actually just a donation to cover some of my podcasting expenses, like recording equipment and podcast hosting. I sure appreciate it. Finally, thanks to Texas Wine Lover website for promotional assistance. Check out txwinelover.com for the new interactive trip planner, a rich collection of blog posts reviewing Texas wines and wineries and more. And don't forget to download the brand new app. I'll be back in two weeks with an interview with Nikila Nara Davis and Greg Davis of Colisee Cellars. Cheers, y'all.